as has already been mentioned, we have a wonderful crowd. And we have quite a few folks that are visiting with us for which we are thankful. And as already been stated, you are our honored guest. And please come back every opportunity that you can be with us. We'd love to have you. As always is the case, I do consider it an honor to speak concerning the Word of God. And I hope that what we have to consider will be helpful to you, edifying to you, and also encouraging to you in some way as you do your very best to live the Christian life. As you can see on the screen, the title of our lesson is Angels as Ministering Spirits. i got to give you a little background here. About 30 years ago, a very good friend of ours asked me to teach on the subject of angels. And being young, I said, absolutely, sure, I'll have it done by next week. And I looked over all the information, I looked in the Bible, I started to study it, and I thought, you know what, this subject is a little bigger than I am. In fact, I couldn't find the information that I was wanting to find to draw conclusions about angels. For example, are they doing things for us in our life or are they not? I remember a couple years later when I decided that I wanted to preach full time and hold gospel meetings and I wanted to build a library for my personal study. And I remember Brother Johnny Elmore was helping me do that and uh, he was recommending books and helping me find certain books. And uh, I sent him an email and I said, hey Johnny, what do you got on angels? He responded with two words, not much. And I thought, well, I'll just shelf it again. But very recently, last month, I talked on who our enemy is, and that's Satan. And I talked about some of the bad angels, the wicked angels. And I talked about Satan and his angels. So I thought after that, you know what? Maybe we ought to talk about some good angels too. They do exist, and they do something. Well, first of all, I want to begin in my introductory comments to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30. There are two passages that I've used as foundational passages for this lesson. The first one is Matthew 22 and verse 30, and just a little background leading up to that. In Matthew chapter 22, you remember that the Sadducees were coming to Jesus, and they were trying to stump Jesus because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they come up with really a ridiculous illustration, thinking that they're going to prove Jesus wrong. They come to Jesus, and they said, you know, Moses taught that if a man is married to a woman, and he dies before she could have children to bear children in his name, then the brother would come and the brother would marry the woman and they would have children and they would bring children into the world for his brother. So this is what he said. This Sadducee says, well, there was a guy, he had, there were seven brothers, all seven. One is married to the woman, he dies, no children. The second one marries the woman, he dies, no children. The third one marries the woman, no, he dies, and no children. Seven brothers marry this one woman. And then it says at the end, oh, and then she died. And they asked Jesus the question, who is she going to be married to in the resurrection? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. You are mistaken. You don't know the scriptures. And then he said this. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. That phrase right there, that in the resurrection one day when we go to heaven, the saved, somehow, some way, we're not going to be married like we were in this life physically. We're not going to have physical relationships that like we had here in this life. In fact, what we're going to be like, 
We're going to be like the angels of God in heaven. So I thought if we're going to be like the angels of God in heaven, just maybe we ought to know a little bit more about those angels of God in heaven. Another passage, Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. But to you, which are angels, has he ever said, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? More on that passage as we move along in our lesson. So these were the foundational passages that I decided to go ahead and write this sermon and teach it today on angels. First of all, the word angel literally means messenger. And interestingly, the word angel is found... 300 times in the Bible. But the strange thing is, perhaps, 300 times the word is used, and yet there's so little information about them. Now, why would that be? First of all, I don't know why God did anything. Only God knows why God did anything. Only God knows that he revealed in his word what he wants us to know. And for some reason, he didn't give a whole lot of information in the Bible about angels. So I'm speculating now, and by the way, this is the only comment I'm going to make in this lesson that is speculation. The only one. Here's me speculating. So it's free, so for whatever it's worth. Could it not be that God didn't give more information about angels? Because if he did, just perhaps people would be inclined to worship angels. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. Angels are not objects to be worshipped. Angels are creatures of worship. And in this lesson, I'm going to do my very best, like I said, not to speculate regarding the work of angels. We want to do one thing. We want to stick to the scriptures and what we know for sure. Let's begin with talking about what we know for sure. Number one, angels are created beings. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Angels are created beings, and they are part of God's, please get this, they are part of God's invisible creation. All right. How many? You ever wondered how many? How many angels? Do you remember when Jesus made this statement? When Jesus was going to go to the cross and they were going to take Jesus and arrest Jesus, Jesus tries to explain to them, his disciples, he said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Jesus could have called down, as the Bible says, 12 legions of angels, right? And could have stopped the whole thing. Makes you want to serve him even more. What about those beautiful songs we sung today about Jesus? That's because Jesus willingly and willfully submitted to what God wanted him to be, and that is his lamb to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Now, how many? 
Well, the Bible talks about innumerable. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. In other words, too many to be counted. I like what John the Revelator said when he saw this vision in heaven in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. Notice, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. How many is that? Well, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. So we're starting at 100 million. Then he says this, and thousands of thousands, innumerable, have no idea what that number is. Too great to even count. A little point of interest, we might say, though. Remember last time we talked about Satan and his angels? Remember that one passage we talked about Satan and a third of the host of heaven were cast out. Now, John saw this vision after they were cast out, obviously. And yet he said there was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands still remaining. If we go back and we figure Satan and a third of the host of heaven that were created in an innumerable host, right? That's a whole lot of angels. Satan's got an army, folks. We need to know who he is, the enemy, and he's got an army. He will not have any control over you that you will not allow. But understand, don't, don't dabble in his world. He's alive and well. Don't dabble in his world. What else do we know about angels? We know that there are classes or ranks or names of angels. The highest ranking angel that we can read about in the scriptures is the archangel. And obviously, we already mentioned that the word angel means messenger. So archangel means superior to that. It means chief messenger. And archangel is only found two times in all the Bible. It's found in the New Testament, not found in the Old Testament at all. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. In our conclusion at the end of our lesson, we're going to talk about the angels at the end. And we'll get back to this passage. The other place that the word archangel is found is in the book of Jude. And it's Jude verse 9. And there it's given a name. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil... When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That's the archangel. There's another order of angels too, and that is called the seraphim. And seraphims are attendants around the throne. They are ready to obey God. In fact, they are creatures that do three, these three things. They honor Worship and serve God. You remember when I said we're going to be like the angels of God in heaven? Sometimes people think that heaven is going to be a place where you get to do whatever you wanted to do in this life, whatever you loved, and you get to do it forever in eternity. 
But heaven is a spiritual place. It is a spiritual place. We will be spiritual beings like the angels of God in heaven. And whatever we're going to look like, whatever body we're going to have, it's going to be like Christ. That's what the Bible says. Spiritual place. Let me tell you what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to honor, worship, and serve God around the throne for eternity. That's what heaven's going to be like. Oh, it's a place of rest. It's a place of reward. Our labors are gone. The memories of bad things are removed forever. Every tear that is in the eye is taken away. There'll be no night there. Wonderful things in heaven. But let me just tell you this, folks. We're going to be there for a purpose, to honor, worship, and serve God forever. Like the angels of heaven. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And his train of his robe filled the temple. That shows the magnificence of God, the greatness, glory, and magnificence of God. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two covered his face, two covered his feet, and two he used to fly. And one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Six winged characters are these seraphim. Two wings covered their eyes. That's a sign of humility. Two wings covered their feet. That's a sign of respect. And two they used to fly. Ready to worship, honor, and serve God around the throne. What else? We also read about another kind of angel, and that's called a cherubim. They are the ones that guard sacred things. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, when man had sinned and was cast out of the garden, you remember what they had in the garden? They had the tree of life. And they could have the tree of life and live forever. And that was given to them before sin entered the world. When man sinned and fell, he was cast out of the garden. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword to which every way, turned every way, to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, obviously, God took away the tree of life as a consequence and as a punishment for their sin. Surely that's the obvious thing. But can't you see the mercy in it too? Think about it this way. If God would have not taken away the tree of life and placed a guard, cherubim, at it to keep it from man, if man could have got to the tree of life after he sinned, guess what man is? An immortal sinner with no chance. Great mercy. It was taken away. So guess what? Man can die and have a shot to go to heaven. Oh, the beauty of what God always does. His mercy was shown in that great act. Cherubim are those that guard sacred things. There's another example too in Exodus chapter 25. In the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, the instructions given to build the ark. The instructions given with the mercy seat. In the holy of holies, the picture of heaven, the place where God was, where sacrifice was made at the mercy seat. Notice what happened with cherubim there. 
And you shall make two cherubim of gold uh, of hammered work. You shall make them at two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it, one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. They shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat, guarding sacred things. Are the cherubim. In summary, so far, archangel... Chief messenger, we're going to hear from the archangel also one day. The seraphim, attendants around the throne, ready to serve and obey God. And cherubim, those that guard sacred things. Now the Bible calls angels mighty. In fact, it refers to them as God's mighty angels. So they are mighty, but they are limited. Angels are superior to man, but they're inferior to God. Angels are limited. Let's talk about that. Let me talk about what angels are not. Number one, angels are not omnipotent or all-powerful. They're not. Only God is. Only God is all-powerful. Angels aren't. In fact, the Bible says, I think it's in Revelation 12 and verse 7. It says that the wicked angels are subject to the righteous angels. So if they were omnipotent or all-powerful in their nature, that wouldn't be possible. Only conclusion we can come up with is they're not all-powerful, only God is. What else are angels not? They are not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. You know what that means? It means to be present everywhere at the same time. I can't even fathom that. In our minds, our human minds, how could a being be so great like God to be ever-present, to be present everywhere at the same time? That's not an angel. That's God. Angels have to fly or have to travel from place to place. Daniel chapter 9, verses 21 through 23. You know why? They're not present everywhere at the same time. What else are they not? They're not omniscient. They are not all wise like God is. God is all wise. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, it says that angels desired to know God's plan for redeeming fallen man. You know why? They weren't all wise. They didn't know. So yes, they're limited. And yet they're called mighty. Mighty angels. What else are angels that we know about? Well, they're creatures of worship. I mentioned this, just touched on this briefly. Wade's been teaching us from the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is described as being exalted above the angels. And here, Jesus is better than the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. That's Jesus. Revelation chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. They are creatures of worship. What else? They possess emotions. 
I want to say something about emotions. Sometimes in an effort to try to steer clear of being filled with emotionalism or making decisions that are based upon emotion, I'm talking about religious decisions based on emotion, sometimes we can go too far in the opposite direction and take emotion completely away. Our decisions are made logically to the mind as the word of God is preached to the mind. That's the heart of the Bible. And when we do that, we understand what the word of God says, we obey it. But then our emotions kick in and we serve him with everything we've got. Angels are also creatures of emotion. Luke 15 and 10, likewise I say to you, there's joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. We had two baptisms recently. And when that happened, when Roman and Joseph obeyed the gospel, the angels rejoiced in heaven. Have you ever considered when you rejoice over someone perhaps that's been away and they've drifted and they come back? And sometimes with tear-filled eyes, we're so thankful for that. And we are rejoicing, we are ever joyed that the angels, you ever stop to consider, the angels are right there with us rejoicing in heaven over the same thing. They possess emotions. Here's another great thing too. You know what they do? They take the saved to paradise. I'm going to tell you, sometimes death can be a scary thought. Sometimes that is. When Paul talked about death, he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And what he was saying is, he was saying that if I die, it's good for me to go be with the Lord. But to live is better for Jesus Christ, so I can keep doing the work, I can keep preaching the gospel. Sometimes death seems like a really scary thing. I've known people that were so scared to die. I guess that's a normal thing. Well, look, look here. In Luke 16 and 22, the rich man and Lazarus, beggar, the beggar died, Lazarus, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The guy that was lost, he, was, he died and he was buried. But to the saved... I'm going to tell you, I don't know what it's going to be like. But when I draw my last breath, and it's over for me, I find great comfort that I won't be afraid. When you cross the chilly waters of death, I won't be afraid. Because somebody's going to be there. It's going to be an angel. He's going to bring me to Abraham's bosom. How's he going to do it? He's going to carry me. Carried to Abraham's bosom. That's what angels do. Wonderful thoughts. I do know this about sometimes people have, they call it near-death experiences. And I'm going to tell you right now, here's a disclaimer. I don't know about any of it. I don't know. I have no explanation. I just don't. But when people say they've died, crossed over, and come back, mm -mm. maybe in their mind they hallucinated. The mind is very powerful and strong. 
How do I know that? How do I know I'm just not making stuff up? Because the Bible says, is appointed unto man, how many times? Once to die. And then the judgment. Once. I don't doubt that people have experiences. I'm just saying, you die once. The soul leaves the body, and the saved are carried to Abraham's bosom. All right, I'm going to give you now two lists, and I'm not going to spend much time on it at all. Because I want to get to what we all really want to know. Okay, I want to get to what we all want to know. What are they doing for us now? Okay. Works of angels in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read this list, and we're going to move on to our second part, and then we're going to get to what we really want to know. In the Old Testament, they informed Abraham and Sarah of the birth of Isaac, Genesis 18. They destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. They delivered Lot and his daughters, Genesis 19. They were seen in Jacob's dream, Genesis 28. They gave Moses the law, or they gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai, and Paul describes that event in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. They led Israel to the land of promise, Exodus 23. They delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, Daniel 3. And they shut the mouths of lions and saved Daniel, Daniel 6. Here are just some examples of some works of angels in the Old Testament. What about Jesus and the service of angels? An angel notified Zacharias of the birth of John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1. One told Mary she would bear Jesus, Luke chapter 1. One appeared to Joseph concerning Jesus, Matthew chapter 1. Angels preached to the shepherds concerning the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 2. Angels strengthened Jesus when he was tempted, Matthew 4. Angels guarded the tomb of Jesus and proclaimed his resurrection, Matthew 28. And finally, angels proclaimed Jesus' coming again in Acts chapter 1. All of these things are things that we know about, that we've read about. But really what we want to know is, are they doing anything for us today? And if so, what is that? Well, first of all, I don't want to use descriptive phrases you cannot read in the Bible. I'm just going to say that in advance, okay? So I'm not going to use a term that everybody has heard because it's not in the Bible. You know what the term is? Guardian angels. Can't read that. So I'm not going to use the words guardian angels in this lesson. Guardian angels is the concept that one angel is permanently assigned to every person. You've probably seen the bumper sticker. Remember the bumper sticker? Don't drive faster than your angel can fly. And the concept is this. The concept or the idea is everybody gets a guardian angel assigned to them and he's going to protect you. He's going to care for you and protect you. My question is, though, what happens sometimes when somebody's not protected? What happens when they get in a car accident and they lose their life and they weren't protected? What about that? Did the angel take a day off? Was he not paying attention? Guardian angels, that phrase is not found in the scriptures. Now, what we can read about is the term we're going to use. And that is the term ministering spirits. 
I want to notice two examples of what angels have done as ministering spirits in the Bible. One's found in the Old Testament, and it's the prophet Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. You remember the story. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And then with a sword, he killed all the prophets. And Jezebel is furious. And Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah. And the message is this. May the gods, the idolatrous gods, small g, may the gods do to me and even more so to me. If I don't have what happened to these prophets happen to you, Elijah. In other words, you're going to die. And the Bible says that Elijah fled and he ran for his life. He dropped off a servant over there in Beersheba. And he went a little farther. In fact, the Bible calls it a day's journey. And the New King James says he sits down under a broom tree. And he prays to God that he would die. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I have been discouraged in my life. I would imagine I'm talking to people that have been discouraged before. According to the Bible passage here, even a fiery man of God named Elijah got discouraged. But I cannot remember one time when I was so discouraged I wanted to die. Elijah needed some help. Elijah wanted to die. Elijah was discouraged. First Kings chapter 19, notice what happens. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him. A ministering spirit. An angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that full food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. He was discouraged. A ministering spirit came to him. Another example of the greatest one that ever lived is Jesus. Remember when Jesus was being tempted of the devil, he had already been baptized by John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 4, he's being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Remember all that? Jesus says this. Finally, he says, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. You know what happened next in Matthew 4 and verse 11? Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. What else? There was another time too. Remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says in Matthew chapter 26 and 38. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. Interesting. At the darkest time of his life of what he was about to go through. Disciples slept. They slept. 
Jesus says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. The Bible also says this, that his sweat was, as it were, like great drops of blood that fell to the ground in agony. He prays to his father. He said, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup. He said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, remember this. I preached this a couple years ago in the last week in the life of Jesus. You might remember this. But when Jesus says, let this cup pass from me, it has to be more than just the cup of suffering physically. There were many that were martyred for their faith. Peter by tradition, is told that he was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified like Jesus. So he said, crucify me upside down. Crucifixion was terrible and awful and painful and I can't even believe, I can't even think about how bad it would have been. But there's got to be something else. The cup has to also include God's divine wrath for sin. Jesus despised the shame of the cross too. And when sin was placed on Jesus, he had to bear the sins of the world. He was perfect and sinless in every way, pure in every way. And now the darkness of sin was placed on him. Even so, God turned his face and he was alone. It has to be that too. It has to be included in that. Finally, Jesus says, if there's no other way except I drink it, then your will be done. And then in Luke 23 and 43, look, at, look what happens. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. What does it mean to be strengthened or strengthening him? It means made him strong within. That's what that actually means. That phrase means made him strong within. All right. You might wonder. I know I used to think this. I used to wonder this. What could an angel do for Jesus that Jesus, being deity, couldn't do for himself? Well, I'm going to tell you. Remember this. From a deity standpoint, nothing. Jesus was the son of God on this earth as our Messiah was fully divine. But he was also the son of man, meaning our Messiah was fully human. From a human standpoint... In all of the agony that he's about to undergo, an angel came and made him strong within to endure what he was about to endure. So this ministering spirit gave Jesus assistance to bear the awful hours ahead of him. He made Jesus strong within. These are just two examples of ministering spirits in the Bible, what they did. So what about today? We go back to Hebrews chapter 1. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit on my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who have salvation? Okay, the words ministering spirit indicates the idea that there are angels, please stay with me, there are angels in the world whose purpose is to carry out God's providence in the lives of those that inherit salvation. Those that inherit salvation. Now who's that? Who are they? 
That's a faithful Christian. Whatever they're doing, they're carrying out God's providential care. All right, what's providence? What is it? Providence is the foreseeing care and guidance of God. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you ask me how God takes care of his providence, I'm going to tell you I don't know. If you're going to ask me a question, was that coincidence or providence, I'm going to say I don't know. Somebody said one time, it's probably providence when you can't determine whether it was a coincidence or providence. I like what Joe Heisel says, though. Coincidence is providence incognito. Nothing happens by happenstance or chance. I just know that God's in control, and I know that he is providential care is always there in according to his will. I just know that. How does he get it done? Well, according to this, angels are doing something to help him do that. Those that are heirs of salvation. E.M. Zer said this. Angels are among the instruments or agencies which God uses in his treatment of and care for his own. Then Zer cites this passage. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. All right. God uses them. How he does that, I don't know. I just know that he does because that's what it said. But there are two points of clarification. There are two phrases we've got to talk about. Okay? And that is, number one, the phrase, we shall judge angels. What does that mean? I read so much from different commentators on that. And it's interesting, all the varying interpretations of that. One commentator said, well, what it's talking about is talking about judging fallen angels, the bad, wicked ones. And gave a whole lot of reasons for that. Another said, no, it's judging the righteous angels and gave a whole lot of reasons for that. Well, how's that for a definite maybe? What's he actually talking about when it says judge angels? Well, let's notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul says, do you not know that we, now who's we? Christians. We shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life. Okay. Here it says that we are going to judge angels. If we go back to verse 2. Okay, remember, there's a context and there's a reason Paul wrote what he wrote. He's talking about going to the law against a brother. Don't do that, 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, let's go back to verse 2. In verse 2, it says that saints or Christians will judge the world. I thought Jesus was going to be the judge. He is. Incidentally, Jesus is your Savior now. But when time shall be no more, he won't be the Savior. He'll be the judge. Jesus is the judge. So you and I that are Christians, we won't have any part of judging the world in that day. The Lord will do that. So what's it mean to judge the world? It means this. It means that we judge the world in the sense of warning the world about coming judgment. This comes from teaching God's word 
and also by our righteous example of the life of a Christian. The word judge in verse 2, very important, it actually means to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. That's the judging we're talking about. You know, people say, don't judge, don't judge. The Bible never said don't judge. It says judge with righteous judgment. You know what Paul's saying is? Paul says, you that are Christians can judge the world by what? By pronouncing or by coming up with an opinion of what's right and wrong. How am I going to know that? My opinion? No. By the word of God. I can know what's right and wrong. And by my godly life, my example. That's how you judge the world. Not that we're going to sit in judgment at the end. So that's judging in verse 2. But to know about judging in verse 3, about judging angels, we have to go to another passage. We have to go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Remember when I said that the Bible describes the angels as God's mighty angels, and I said that they were limited, but they're greater than man. I said they are superior to man, but inferior to God, right? Okay. What's beautiful is what the Hebrew writer is saying, he has not put the world to come, that's after this life, after the resurrection, that's in heaven. He has not put the world to come in subjection to angels. That means I will not be in subjection to angels, and neither will you if you're saved and you go to heaven. The judging angels means this. Angels will be in subjection to us as we are connected to Jesus Christ. Remember when we said about the innumerable multitude in heaven before the throne and the Lamb and God's going to be there and all that? Remember all that? Beautiful point though. Who's going to know the song? The song of the redeemed, the song of the lamb. It's those that are in the body, those that are in Jesus Christ, those that are in the church. So angels will be in subjection to us then as we are connected to Jesus Christ. What else? Okay, here's another one. What does this mean? Entertaining angels unawares. All right. I've heard people say my whole life, well, you know, after all, after all, we just don't know. We may be entertaining an angel unawares. So I got to do good to everybody or for everybody. I got to do that because who knows? It may be an angel. Is that the point? Let's notice the passage in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. That's the point. For in doing so, notice, some, this is the New King James, have unwittingly entertained angels. Now notice, does it say that you may entertain angels? No. It says some have, in the past, unwittingly entertained angels. Let me tell you about the some. Two examples, I'll just give you two. How about Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 3? Entertaining angels unawares. How about Lot in Genesis 19, verses 1 and 2? Entertaining angels unawares. What's the whole point? Folks, the point is not this. It is not so that we are 
extending hospitality to somebody because the greatest thing we could possibly do is entertain an angel. That's not what that means. I think it means this. You never know the far reaches of goodness that can come from helping somebody else. You just don't know. The example, the act of kindness, the work of a Christian. You have no idea. You never know. Jesus wasn't concerned with, hey, by the way, get ready to entertain angels. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 25 and 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So we're not to be looking for those that are angels because all we got to do is talk about what he said. We have to do it to the least of these, my brethren. What else? The flip side of that, verse 45. Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. So, we're not going to entertain, I don't believe, I don't believe that we're going to entertain a person that's actually an angel. I don't think that's what he means. I don't think that's what he said. What I think it means is this. As some unknowingly entertained angels, you have no idea that you might entertain somebody and some great good can come and you have no idea how good that might be. I think that's the context. I think that's the point. And again, I want to stick to what we can know and not speculate. All right, in conclusion... What about the work of angels in the future? Well, the Bible says that they're going to return with Jesus in flaming fire. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. At the resurrection, somebody's going to shout, that's the Lord. And then it says, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So, they're going to be part of the future. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And to give you who are troubled rest with, with, with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to assist the Lord in that. And finally, one more passage. One more passage. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 43. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, those that practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Who's going to do that? The Lord will send His angels to do that. But then, I love this, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I love that phrase, and the righteous will shine forth. Folks, I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff about angels that I just don't know. But I do think they're ministering spirits to help carry out the providence of God. How God does that, I don't know. But maybe it's okay not to know. Maybe looking through the eye of faith is even better. When you can't explain it, but you know what happens. Isn't that better? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Just because I may not have all the answers to line it out, and you may not either, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. 
It doesn't mean that God's not in control. And it doesn't mean that he's using his mighty angels to carry out his providential care even today. I'm finished. Thank you so much for your kind listening. You've been a wonderful audience, and I appreciate that greatly. We never close a time that we teach from God's word without extending an invitation to somebody that might be subject to the gospel call. Are you here today and you're not a Christian? If you're not a Christian, you can become one today. Come believing in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess his name as the Son of God. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And be baptized in water for the remission of sins. Maybe you've taken those steps. Maybe you've drifted away. What a great time we come back. Be one of either class. Come while we stand and while we sing. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m., and 5 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.